Turn your Bible, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. When you're there, a few of you holler at me so I know we're ready to go. Man, y'all are quick. You're faster than I am. Ephesians 4, and you can follow along in your notes as well in the Believer's Fellowship app, but chapter 4, verse 10 says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. How many knows we need to grow up? We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever They sound like the truth, Uh, Facebook. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. This morning we were talking about unity in our church. Aren't you thankful he makes the body fit together perfectly? As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word this morning? And Lord, would you help me to communicate the truth of your word? And would you open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to receive and be transformed by your word? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm continuing this morning our, our, a series that I'm preaching on the fivefold ministry. Uh, and, and just to recap from last week, and I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it, that, that last week's sermon is not posted in the app or the website yet, but you can go on Facebook and listen, and your pastor will work real hard to have it on the website later this week. But um, anyway, I encourage you to go back and, and watch it or listen uh, because it, it, it lays the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today and next week as well. But last week I taught you from Ephesians chapter 4, and we said that all believers are gifted for ministry. Because the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 starts with, Christ has given each one of us gifts. And then he lists the fivefold gifts. And so each one of us fall or have been gifted in one area of ministry, and all believers are gifted for ministry. And then I taught you that all believers are called to an assignment in ministry. I taught you that you were created with a purpose, that you were created with an assignment on your life. When you were born, before you were born, God created you in your mother's womb, and He He divinely, intricately uh, designed you, your genetic makeup, your mind, your 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 future, so that it could fit into the purpose and the calling that He had placed on your life. So you're called to an assignment, and and these assignments or these ministries are are the apostolic and the prophetic and the evangelists and pastors and teachers. God created you for this. And not only when you were born, but then when you were born again, when you were saved, God did not just save you so that you could skate by until you go to heaven. He saved you with a purpose and he saved you with a calling. He wants to do something through your life. Amen. 
Don't shout me down this morning. It's going to be good. So each and every one of us are gifted in some way to function in these ministry gifts. And, and I told you, you can go onto this website if you're like, I don't know anything about this. I'm not even sure where I fit in it. Go to this website and take that little, uh, uh, it, it's not really a quiz. It's kind of like an assessment. And it's not like some magic, you know, let's figure out your horoscope thing. Don't get confused about it. It's asking you about things you're already doing, that God's already doing through you. And it's going to ask you these questions and it's going to tell you, what you're doing is already ministry, and this is the kind of ministry you're already doing. So go and check, check that out. I know a few of you did that this week, and I think it was beneficial to you. Now today, that last week was an overview. Today, I want to focus on the first two ministry functions in the list of the fivefold ministry. That's the apostles and the prophets. And look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, uh, verse 19. This is Paul at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, and he's writing this. He says, now you... That's us, us believers. We are no longer strangers and foreigners. In other words, we're no longer separated from God. He is, we have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus. Somebody say, thank you for the blood. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul, he has three favorite pictures that he likes to use when he's trying to teach us about the church and about the kingdom. He will often talk about um, the body of Christ, and he will use this picture of a human body, and he will talk about how the human body all fits together and works together, and every part of the human body is important. And he uses that as a way to teach about the church, that some of us are, uh, are arms, and some of us are legs, and some of us are feet, and, but all of us work together to be the body of Christ. And a few of y'all are the armpit, just so you know. And so they're, all of us are parts of the body. And then another picture that he really likes to use is um, is the picture of the 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 house, and it's the picture of a, a building that's being built. And he talks about that there are uh, the the church, the body of Christ, believers. We are we are part of a, a building process that's taking place. And so there's a foundation, and there's walls, and there's rooms, and there's a roof, and it's a process to build the house. A house doesn't get built in a day. A house takes time to be built, and you want to be particular about how you build the house. And so he will use that image quite a bit. And then other times he will use an image of the temple and he will talk about the temple. And, and remember, they would have been very familiar with temples in their day. Temples are these big, great, big buildings that are built. And then it's believed that God resides in that building. And so Paul goes and says, you've seen temples of stone and you've seen temples with great edifices and, and wonderful architecture. But he, and, but he's saying, you know what? 
gods don't really live in those temples because what God's doing is he's building a church. He's building a people and God lives in the people. He lives amongst the people. And then he will also use, I, I said three temple and house kind of go together, but he will also use an image of, um, I just lost my train of thought. What's the other one? It just totally left me. Gone. <laughs> That's never happened to me before. When I, he will, we'll get back to it. Whew. Y'all pray for me. I don't know. I got distracted by something. Uh, yeah, it worked. it's age. Yep, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, these images that God... Family. That's the one. Family. He will use... <laughs> the third image is family because God. the gospel is all about God creating a family. We're going to edit that out when I put it in the, in the next one. The third image that Paul uses oftentimes is family. He will say that we're drawing from all different kinds of people groups, Jewish people, Gentile people coming together, different skin colors, different languages, rich people and poor people. And so the church would become this really strange family of misfits that don't seem to go together, but they all go together because of the blood of Jesus. And he says, all of us are becoming part of the family. In fact, that's what the gospel is all about, is that God is creating a new family from the people of the earth. That's what it is. And so Paul is going to use these pictures. When you study the New Testament, you're going to see these over again, over and over again, the building, the body, and the family. And it's all about the church. And so Paul is doing this, and he's saying, He's particularly in Ephesians chapter 2 using the building metaphor. And he's saying God's building a house in which his spirit will dwell. And the house is not the brick and mortar of a house, but the house is the family of God, is you and me. We make up the house. And he says, and this is point number one, Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. In multiple places in Scripture, even in the Old Testament, before Jesus was ever born, the Bible speaks of the coming Messiah and calls that Savior, that Messiah, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. And if you're a stonemason or a brick mason, the cornerstone is very important because you don't start building a building in the middle of the wall. You start building the building by laying the foundation and you don't put the foundation and you just say, well, I'll put a brick here somewhere and I'll build around it. You start at a corner. And you start with this corner and every stone, every brick that is laid after that has to square up with this cornerstone. Come on. Everything that comes after this has to be aligned, has to be square, has to be even, has to be perpendicular to this cornerstone. Every other part of the house lines up with this one. And if it doesn't, then the house will not be sound. The structure will not last. This is the most important part of the building. You know, it's so important. So he's saying, we're a house. We're our family. We're building a place for God to live. Not a, a literal building. We're building a spiritual place for God to live. The family of God. And Christ is the first one. He's the cornerstone. And everything must line up with him. Everything. You cannot come and say, I'm going to start laying and building more on this building and I'll just, the next, the next brick, I'll lay it like this, crooked. 
And then I'll, I didn't want to bring more because they're heavy. But just imagine that all the other ones, they're all crooked. And I just threw them up here. That's not a wall. That's not a building. That's not going to hold anything up. It's not going to last. You have to make sure that with the cornerstone, every brick is aligned perfectly with that cornerstone because that's going to make sure that your building is sound and is structurally stable. If that's how you build a solid house, how you build a level house, that's how you build a house that will last. You start with the cornerstone and literally every other brick is going to be geometrically aligned somewhere with that first cornerstone. It's so important. So here's how this applies to our lives. If Christ is the cornerstone of the church... And Christ is the cornerstone of our lives as members of His church, as members that have been adopted into His family, as part of His body. We have to ask ourselves, is my life aligned with the cornerstone? Is my life lining up with the chief cornerstone? Is my heart in alignment with Jesus, the cornerstone? Is my attitude in alignment with Jesus Christ, the cornerstone? Are my marriage and family relationships in alignment with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone? Are my choices and behaviors aligned with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone? Are my actions and how I treat other people aligned with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone? Are my life goals in alignment? With Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, is my assignment in life, my calling, my purpose, and my service to the church is, and the kingdom, is it lined up with the chief cornerstone? Because every brick, every stone, every part of the house has to be able to geometrically line up and be square with the cornerstone if I want the house to last. And that's where maintenance takes place. My dad, my whole life, was a realtor and a contractor. And if he was here, he'd be amening this part because he would tell people, he'd say, you could go out and you can buy the best contractor. You can, you can hire the best carpenters. Go hire the best painters. Go hire the best plumbers that money can buy. Go hire the best electricians that money can buy and have them build you a house. And he says, on the day they're done, they will come and hand you the keys to the front door. And as soon as you walk in the front door on day one, there's a flaw somewhere in that house. No house is perfect when it's first built. I don't care how, there is going to be a flaw somewhere in the house. So maintenance on the house starts day one. Maintenance on your home starts the day you move in. And when that flaw becomes evident, you don't go burn the whole house down. Well, this house was useless because they didn't build it right in the first place. No, you do the maintenance on the house to get everything that's come out of alignment back into alignment with the cornerstone. So Christ is the cornerstone of this building called the church. Not, not the building, us. He's the cornerstone. We're the family of God. We're all a part of it. And when some of us get out of alignment with the cornerstone, we do the maintenance that it takes to keep the building sound and secure. This is why when things get weird in the church and things get off and things don't go exactly right, you don't leave the church. You don't leave Jesus. You do the maintenance to make the church what it's supposed to be. 
If you just give up and move out of the house every time you see a flaw, you're going to be building unstable houses the rest of your life. You have to work on the house and keep it maintained. So the house is being built. And the first stone is laid for the foundation. It's called the cornerstone. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ Himself is the cornerstone for this great big family that God is putting together. And then the Bible says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of this building, are the foundation of the church. The apostolic and prophetic ministries are the foundation of the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Together, we're all all his house built on what? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus, the next verse says, being the cornerstone. Now, my dad, the contractor and realtor, would tell you, and some of you will know, the most important structural part of the house is what? The foundation. The most important part of the house is the foundation. If your house doesn't have a good foundation, none of your house is stable. The rest of your house will have problems. A bad foundation, a cracked foundation, a leaking foundation, a sinking foundation, they will all make for worse and bigger problems in the rest of the building. A bad foundation can make a roof leak. In that, they're totally different parts of the house, but the bad foundation can cause problems in every other. Y'all don't start looking at the cracks in our ceiling. So it's important when we're talking about the fivefold ministry that we get these two functions in ministry called the apostolic and the prophetic right. Because here's the danger, especially with us Pentecostals. There's a lot of people out there that go and get themselves some business cards printed up. And they call themselves apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so. And and they make themselves a ministry to make themselves sound important because they put their little job title on there. But in my experience, very few people who call themselves apostle or prophet are actually prophets and apostles. And here's the thing. I don't think that when Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 4, he's handing out business cards with labels on them for people. Paul's not writing to Ephesians thinking people are going to go read chapter 4, read about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and then we got to go get new job titles and start a Facebook ministry page and start a YouTube channel so that Apostle Drury can give his latest revelation. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here at all. What he's saying here is that in the church, there are many different ministries that believers function in, and five of them are apostles, pastors, uh, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. So it's not about a job title. These functions in ministry are descriptor words describing the work that people do in the church. And he says apostolic and prophetic ministry are important to the church because they lay a foundation for the rest of the church to build on. That doesn't mean that the other three functions are less important. Evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm going to teach on those next week. A foundation that has no house built on it is useless. It's just a piece of slab out in the field. So we can't have a foundation without the house, but it's just as true that a house with no foundation will not stand. 
So we have to have both. So he's saying here that these ministries, they're important and they're all interdependent on one another and they often overlap. And these gifts are not titles to slap on a business card, but they are functions in ministry that should operate in the church that help us all grow and mature. So I want to focus on these foundational functions for just a moment. Number one, apostolic ministry. Last week, I'm running, going fast. I'm trying to get you out of here. I told you last week that people who function in apostolic ministry are dream awakeners. They bring to life the dreams and the plans God has for his church and for the kingdom. The word apostle, it's not a word we use often, but it literally means someone who is sent out. An apostle is someone who is sent out, someone who is sent on an assignment with the authority to act in the name of the one who sent them. So I, I needed um, I, I needed Justin. I asked him this morning, hey, I'm going to be out of town this week. Can you go and drop off a check for me at this business in Russellville? He said, yeah, sure. So I, he's my apostle <laughs> for this check. I'm sending him out with the check. And I said, I don't know exactly what to put on the check. So you're going to have to write it in there. You've got authority to write in on the check what I'm needing to get paid for. You're doing this for me. That's what an apostle does. An apostle is sent out to complete a task with the authority to act in the name of the one who sent them. Does that make sense? That's what an apostle is. God sends apostolic people where Satan reigns and darkness is prevailing. People who function in apostolic ministry are sent out by God on assignment to expand the kingdom into new places or start a new ministry work for the kingdom. We have on the second row over here a couple of missionaries. They serve on a college campus, a secular college campus, where there, you know, secular college campuses aren't like hotbeds for Christianity at the moment. I didn't know if you knew that or not. But they're there, and an apostolic ministry goes to a place where Jesus is not well known and proclaims Jesus in dark places. Many missionaries function in apostolic ministry. Apostolic people plant the church where it does not yet exist. They are people God has gifted at pushing back darkness and bringing in the light of the gospel. Apostolic ministry plays offense and not defense. Defense is we got to protect us for no more. Offense says, nope, there's a dark corner out there somewhere and I'm going there and I'm taking that territory and I'm taking that location for the kingdom of God. Apostolic ministry is doing new things for God, taking new ground for the kingdom. And the church, we as the body, need apostolic people because they push us out of our comfort zones and they push us into the outer edges and into the dusty corners of the world. We need people like this because human nature is to kind of be satisfied and content and let's keep the AC at a good temperature. And we need somebody to say, hey, there's people that's lost out there. There's a world out there that hasn't known about Jesus and hasn't heard about Jesus. We need these spiritual pioneers to blaze the trail for Jesus and push us into the outermost parts of the earth and plant the church where it does not exist. Apostolic people often take on the role of spiritual fathers and mothers for other believers. They care for and raise up sons and daughters to continue on the work. 
They're watchmen who guide and correct the church. They're the ones that are looking at every brick and they've got their plumb line and they're going to make sure that every brick is laid just right because they want to make sure that the foundation is good for the future. They're inspecting and keeping us faithful to the original message. They are guardians against false doctrine and they are gifted at fostering and maintaining unity. An apostle will make sure you're teaching what's right, and an apostle will make sure you're not disrupting the unity of the church. Just, just read the New Testament in Paul's letters, and you'll see this in action when you read Paul in the New Testament. Apostles are network builders and resource developers. They're always looking for new ways to do things, new places to go that help us reach more people and conquer more darkness. Yet they're always keeping us faithful to the gospel. In fact, two key words for apostolic ministry are expansion and faithfulness. They're always thinking, how can we expand the kingdom? And they're always thinking we need to maintain faithfulness to the message of Jesus. That's what apostles do. We need apostolic people because they are risk takers. They are adventurers. They are creative thinkers that help encourage us to expand the church. But they are also our guardians and they set up guardrails to keep us from going off course. I want to t tell you about a, a man named Paul I. Paul I is someone that I would call a modern-day apostle. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I see that you're nodding your head. That picture up there, uh, Shannon, if you would put that picture of Brother I on the screen. Paul was born into a strong Buddhist family in Vietnam. At a young age, he was sent to a pagoda to train to become a Buddhist monk. And he became one of the top monks in the monastery. And, and everyone look up to him, looked up to him. But he began to grow disgruntled with Buddhism that, that there was no hope or power in Buddhism. And if you study Buddhism, there is no hope in Buddhism at all. And so he, he got disgruntled with that. So he actually left Buddhism and started to study black magic. And he studied and became a witch doctor and rose to the top of witchcraft and witch doctoring in the nation of Vietnam. Uh, he says he served over 3,366 different gods in his ministry as a witch doctor. He was, he was bound in these strongholds of witchcraft and he, 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 he was uh, always about uh, trying to... He was even an apostle when he was a witch doctor because he was always expanding and trying to gain more power, more influence as a witch doctor. But he got disappointed because in 1970, a group of Christian missionaries came to his hometown to start a crusade to win people over for Jesus. And Paul I, being the witch doctor and didn't like Christians, decided to use all of his witchcraft and curses and things that he would do to stop the crusade. And he put curses on the crusade. He showed up and he tried to, to shut the thing down. But nothing he did could shut down the power of God. And people were still getting saved and people were still getting healed. No matter all of his tricks and all of his curses and craft that he knew. And he realized there's no power like Jesus' power. And that, that year, 1970, at that crusade that he was trying to stop with his dark uh, demonic power... It led him actually to renounce his faith, his renounce Satan and renounce witchcraft and become a follower of Jesus at the crusade he tried to shut down. After that, he faced many persecutions as he began to serve Jesus. His entire family disowned him. They kicked him out of his home. He was no longer welcome in his hometown. 
He was rejected by his community. He was persecuted by the local Vietnamese government for believing in Jesus Christ and for sharing the gospel uh, as, he, as he shared his testimony of how God had saved him. He served over 10 and a half years in a communist Vietnamese prison and forced labor camps for his belief in the gospel. But I loved, I heard him preach one time, and he was talking about they would put him in a prison, and he'd just get people saved in the prison, and he'd start a, he'd start a church right there in the prison. So they said, oh, we got to move this troublemaker to another prison, and they put him in that prison, and he'd get people saved, and he'd start a church in that prison. Oh, we got to move this troublemaker, and we'll move him to that prison. They put him in forced labor. He just got the forced labor camp saved and started a church there. They finally said, we'll put him in the women's prison, because then he won't have any influence. We'll just make him the only man in a woman's prison. He got all the women saved and started a church in the women's prison. He was just everywhere he went, the kingdom expanded. He studied the Bible. He went to Bible school. He later became a pastor, a church planner. He planted hundreds of underground churches under communist Vietnamese government's watch. He was the founder and the first general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Vietnam for over 25 years. He led 10,000 people under his leadership. He mentored thousands of pastors and church planners and cell group leaders under his leadership and planted hundreds of churches all over Vietnam. But in 1999, he was arrested during a conference while he was training pastors and that communist government was ready to execute him until the United States government stepped in and religious freedom officials in government stepped in. And so instead of executing him, they banned him from his own home country. They exiled him. And now he lives in Hampton, Virginia, where a church there sponsored him to come to America. And still, after all of that, he can't go to Vietnam, but he travels all over the world to Vietnamese communities in different places where they've immigrated out of Vietnam, and he's still planning churches to this day. Fifty years after he was saved, he's still leading people to the Lord. People are still getting healed. Churches are still being planted. Orphanages, Bible schools, all being started by his ministry. That's an apostle. Now, not all of us maybe would get there. Yes, you, if you ever get a chance to meet this guy, we got to get him here. wonder if we could get him here. He's amazing. And if you, it's just incredible the story he, he's, he could tell. Not all of us maybe would be arrested and serve in prison and start 10,000 churches, but there are people in this room right now. You have that kind of call in your life to go and take Jesus where he's not known, to expand the kingdom, to do new things for God, because you have been gifted for that. I read this this week. Apostolic people say yes even when the cost is great. It's easy to say, okay, well, some people are called to that, but that's not me. But the thing about the fivefold ministry is that, yes, some of us are gifted in certain functions of ministry more than others, but all of the church is called to walk in these gifts. We might not all function in apostolic ministry, but we're all part of an apostolic church. We are all being sent out to do new things for God, to take the church where it does not exist, to push back the kingdom of darkness, to take new territory for the kingdom. We're called to be apostolic thinkers, and we must weave apostolic thinking into all that we do as a church because, I read this this week too, a church that does not care about apostolic growth will become ingrown, declining, and self-centered. 
So you might say, well, I'm not called to that, but you are called to support it and foster it. You are called to be a part of what God is doing in the church because we are all an apostolic community being sent out by God to take new territory for the kingdom. Amen? I'm going really as fast as I can. Prophetic ministry. Number two, I told you last week that prophetic people are heart revealers. They are sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And they're in tune with the heart of God so that they can speak and reveal God's heart to us about whatever situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. The role of a prophet is to see and to hear and to speak. Prophets often think in in terms of pictures and envisions. God will show prophetic people things in their prayer life, in their dreams, when when they're in their time of communing with Him. Prophets see things that the rest of us don't often see. And prophets can see our blind spots. Everybody needs a prophetic person in their life to see what you don't see. Uh, prophetic people hear what God is speaking. Their heart are sensitive to the voice of the Lord. They're sensitive to what God is saying in the move of the Holy Spirit. And then they speak forth what they've seen and what they've heard. So in this way, the prophetic ministry helps the church stay connected to God. They help bridge the gap between ordinary life and our extraordinary God. Just some, a few words from Scripture that, that maybe explain the prophetic ministry. Prophetic people uh, serve to warn, to foretell, to guide, to shift, to change, to encourage, to build up, to motivate, to console, and to confirm. They're all in your notes if you didn't quite keep up with those. Prophecy is not just an oral, like, I'm getting a word from God and I've got to tell you. That's one part of it, but that's not all of it. Sometimes prophecy is, is expressed through music and through poetry and through art and, and through writing. It's not always, oh, I got a word, you know, you're supposed to marry so-and-so. That's, that's, that's not, that's such a simple view of prophecy. It's so much more than that. If you read the prophets in the Bible, oftentimes they would, they would do dramatic things to get people's attention and they would, they would uh, write poems and they would sing songs and that was all prophetic ministry as well. A lot of what happens up here on Sunday mornings is very prophetic as the, our worship team uh, discerns what God is doing and what God is speaking and maybe they change up songs or, or maybe they sing something spontaneously or, or maybe one of them has a word to encourage us that morning. That is all prophetic ministry as well. Three key words for, oh, excuse me, one more thing. The prophetic ministry calls out and warns against immorality in the church. Prophetic ministry is concerned with those who are suffering, oppressed, sick, or in poverty. Prophets see the the blind spots. They see what we choose to look over and gloss over. Three key words for prophetic ministry come straight from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, But the one who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, I know those are big words, so let me explain them to you. Edify means to build up. It means to strengthen. 
It means uh, uh, to, to, it helps people mature and grow. And so prophetic ministry edifies. It builds people up. It strengthens us. Exhort. It means uh, uh, encouraging people to follow God. Encouraging people to turn from sin. So encouragement is not, listen, encouragement is not a pat on the back and saying, oh, you did a good job. That's affirmation. But encouragement is you're sitting on your rear end and you're not doing anything for God. And you need to get up and start walking in the call and purpose of God on your own. That's encouragement. Now, we like the pat on the back, but sometimes we need the encouragement to get off the pew. Amen? So encouragement is, is, is speaking up and, 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 and lighting a fire under someone. And, and even if they're, if they're in sin or they're not living for God, to, 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 to encourage people to turn from that and turn toward God. And then comfort, prophetic ministry, brings the healing words of God to people who are suffering and people who are hurting. Prophetic ministry is not always a formal, i got to pray, and then speak in King James English and give you a word from God. Oftentimes, prophetic ministry is just an informal word of encouragement. Or it's just a gentle correction. Or maybe it's sometimes, well, you know, I just feel like I'm supposed to say this to you. Y'all know those people? I feel like I'm just supposed to say this to you. That's, that is prophetic ministry. Sometimes it's just how, in how you pray for someone. Sometimes prophetic ministry is just an act of kindness that you do for someone who needs it. A couple more takeaways about the prophetic ministry. A public prophetic ministry requires a private prayer life. Prophecy always flows out of intimacy with God. When prophecy is absent from the church, moral decline is rampant in the church. Prophetic people help us stay holy and encourage us to repent and turn from sin and consecrate ourselves. And y'all ever been in a service where there's like a guy that, or a lady that's speaking and they're real prophetic and they start calling out words and you got to repent real quick before they call you out? <laughs> I've been in those where I don't want them to say what I know God might tell them. So I better get it right before God. <laughs> yeah, it's real. I've been in those services where they can read your mail, man. God has spoken and he, they know. They, they, they just, they, God speaks through people. Without prophetic voices, churches become stale civic clubs and secular nonprofit organizations. We need the voice of God speaking and moving and acting in the church. So some people have functions within the realm of prophetic ministry quite often. And, and there's some in this room. But all of us are called to be prophets to the world around us. To take what God has said and what God has spoken and speak it into the world around us. So even if you say you take your little five-fold assessment and prophets, the lowest one on your list, you're still called to be a prophetic voice in your family, in your job, in your community, in, in your marriage, in, you know, in the grocery store. Wherever you are, we as believers are called to speak what God has spoken. And so some of us function in it more, but all of us are, have this responsibility to carry out the five functions of the ministry. So Christ is the cornerstone. Everything has to line up with Jesus. Everything we do has to line up with Jesus. If it ain't Jesus, I don't want to do it. 
if it doesn't line up with who he is and what he says, then, I, then, then it's not important. It's not a part of what God is doing. And then from the cornerstone is laid out a foundation for all of us to grow on. And that is the ministry, the apostolic and prophetic ministry being sent out by God. That's apostolic and speaking for God, the prophetic. That is the foundation for all ministry that we do in the church. That's what this, this is all about. So each of us have unique gifts, but together all of us build the church and expand the kingdom. Each of us have our unique gifts. All of us fit in. That's why, listen, you know, as a pastor, it's like, you know, well, of course the pastor says you need to come to church, but I need you here because you have gifts I don't have. And as the pastor, and as someone who... Uh, tends to flow in the prophetic, I can be sitting in that seat and never look around the room and know who's here and be able to tell who's here and not here. Because there is something that you bring to the atmosphere, that you bring to the community, that when you're not here, we're missing. And so there is this, there is this uh, need, not out of duty, out of, well, you know, just go to church so you don't feel guilty about skipping this Sunday, but be here because we need your gifts. And you need our gifts so that we mutually benefit each other. Isn't that what he said in Ephesians chapter 4? That we each, when we function in our gifts, we build each other up and we build the church together and we expand our reach and we push back darkness and the lost are saved and the sick are healed and those who are in bondage are set free because we're all functioning in our God-given ministry, our God-given assignment. And so it's not just the pastor on the platform and it's not just the singers, but all of us are doing ministry together, expanding God's reach in the community around us. We each have unique gifts, but together we all build the church and expand the kingdom. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 19 again. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together, aligned with the cornerstone, making sure everything is square. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You coming together, allowing the foundation of the apostles and the prophets in the room, allowing the leadership gifts to flow, allowing the, the prophetic to move, allowing ourselves to be pushed out of our comfort zones to do more for the kingdom and go into places we would not normally go. When we do that, we build up the church and we build and strengthen each other. And then like the song said, when the rains come and the winds blow, my house is built on him. And nothing, that's why Jesus could say, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not 
prevail against it. No matter what God, what life throws at us, no matter what Satan throws at this church, no matter what Satan throws at your family and your house, because you've got the cornerstone and because you've got the foundation and because you've got a church family full of ministry gifts operating, your house isn't going to sink. It's not going to go down. The devil can't win. The gates of hell will not prevail because you've built a solid foundation. That's what this is all about. And I want you to hear me as your pastor. I want our church to be released in these gifts. If I don't have a gifting in some area, I need you to operate in that gifting. If I'm not a great personal evangelist, I need some other people that are great personal evangelists to go out and tell people about Jesus. If I'm not a great teacher, then I need someone. Sunday nights, we need teachers. Wednesdays, we need teachers. We, we need people who can do that. And we're going to talk about those gifts later. But if you are a prophetic person and you have a word from the Lord or something you want to share, share it. My goodness, I want to hear what God has to say. Don't keep it to yourself. If you have this apostolic calling to do something new for God and, and, and start something or go into somewhere where, where God isn't known and, and to expand God's kingdom, do it. And then let your church family support you with it. But you're released into your gifts and your callings. Figure out what they are. Figure out what your gifting is. Figure out what God's calling on your life is. I'm not saying you got to quit your job. Some of you, you're supposed to be an apostolic farmer. Some of you, you're supposed to be a prophetic school teacher. You're supposed to be an evangelistic pharmacist. You, this isn't a career move. This is a life calling. And you, he puts you in that career, and he puts you in that office, and he puts you in that position to operate in your giftings. And watch God do something where he builds his church. Would you stand with me this morning? I told you last week when I was talking about purpose and calling and identity, the first step, the first step is making sure you've got a relationship with the one who created you. Because the Bible says before he knew you, before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you and he called you and he put a calling on your life. And you need to know the creator, the one who created you so that you can walk in his identity and purpose that he has for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anyone in the room that you would say, I don't know my calling. I don't know my purpose. I'm not in right relationship with my creator. And I want to make sure that I know him so that I can live for him and I can have eternity with him. If that's you, I don't know for sure, pastor, that I'm going to heaven. I don't know for sure I have a relationship with my creator, that my sins are forgiven, that I'm walking with Jesus. But I want to make sure today, just slip your hand up and let your pastor know. And I'll pray with you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. But I know for sure, I'm not sure that I have a right relationship with God, but I want to get it right today. Is there anyone in the room? If you're watching online, you can send us a message and tell and, and say, Pastor Seth, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. That's the first step to walking in my giftings and walking in my calling and purpose in life. I trust that to mean that everybody in the room is saved and on their way to heaven. But now I want to ask you, are you walking in your God-given gifts and calling and identity? And particularly today, the altar time is driven to those that maybe you took that five-fold assessment and an apostle or prophet came up. Or maybe you already know that, that you, you've been called to do something in this kind of function of ministry. And you'd like your church family to pray with you and just affirm that calling on you. Then I want to invite you to step out for just a moment.
If you would say, you know what, I know what my gifting is, but I need prayer and, and, and I, want, I want my church family to pray with me as I step out in this calling and this gift and this assignment, would you pray with me? Would you just step out right now if that's you? If you say, you know what, I've got a prophetic calling on my life, or it could be any of the five, but especially the apostolic or the prophetic, would you just step out right now in the name of Jesus? We want to pray with you. I just want to affirm God's call on your life. I want to ask Jesus to help you walk in your calling and walk in your purpose. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Melissa, would you come help pray for, for especially Lisa? Deb, for some reason, I feel like, would you pray for these young men right here? And just, 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 uh, maybe ask them exactly what particular, but for some reason, I feel like you're supposed to pray with them. Um, anyone else? I've, I've got, I know I want to walk in the giftings and callings God has for me. And I need my church family to just pray with me so that I, I can, I can yield to that. Anyone else? We're going to pray for just a